Father, once again we are in your presence. Middle of this sixth month, oh Father, your faithfulness, your faithfulness, your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, keeping your people through the day. So many have come from school, from college, from work, and you have kept them. We have come together in your name. Now speak to us. Help us to put aside everything that concerns this life on earth. And think on those things that are above, as our life is hidden in Christ. Speak, Father, speak. We wait at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. If you've been there all these weeks, but I try to make each of the messages complete in itself, though it's easier to understand if you've been following through the weeks. So we looked at the past two winners days, that once you're born again, if you're not born again, you don't understand, you see it has troubles and problems and issues of life. But once you're born again, you realize If you realize you are in war, whether you like it or not, you are in a spiritual battlefield. You are at war. And in this war, we've been promised victory because the one who saved us has already won the victory. So we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. And we are, scripture says, God takes us in triumph, in victory, in Christ Jesus always. But today I want to look at another aspect. When you are at war, what are you banking on? You know, when in the physical world, when soldiers are at war, they put their trust in many things. And if if you look at the messages, past messages, we look that we are taking two approaches. One, the enemies of our faith. If you don't define our enemy and know our enemy well, we'll always struggle in this battle. The other focus, if you notice, is on God. We understand who is with us, who is for us. The more we know about God, the battle all. It's no point just knowing about the enemy without knowing about the God who saved us and who is with us. So today, tonight rather, we will focus on One of the attributes of God which really helps us in this journey, in this battle. This attribute is also ours in Christ Jesus and it's one of the primary attributes of God into which each one of his children have to grow. Not only because it's useful and fundamental in our battles and in our victory, also because it is one of the yardsticks by which we will be ultimately judged by God. So we will look at it, at this attribute of God. So today first we will read from Psalm 89, verses 1 to 8. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. I want to look at this tonight. The faithfulness of God. To all generation. This is one of his attributes. Primary attributes. God is faithful. Your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. 
Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. Here David is talking about a covenant God made with David and his descendants. But we know who the real David is. It's Jesus and all his. God has made so many promises to his children, to his servants, to his children in the word of God. But we have all these promises. But why do we believe in these promises? Why do we hang on to these promises? Yes, Because God is powerful. But that's only one side. There are many powerful people in this world. Can you bank on their promises? Why do we bank on God's promises? The primary fact is because of his faithfulness. Because of his faithfulness. That's one of the primary aspects of God. God is faithful. If you want to understand what faithful means, the different synonyms you have in English... God is dependable, God is trustworthy, God is reliable. All this defines who God is. God is faithful. He is reliable, He is dependable, He is trustworthy. What we have on earth post the fall is a crisis of faithfulness. We really, really have a crisis of faithfulness at home, at churches, at offices, Entire nations, the whole issue is a crisis of faithfulness. Questions are raised about the integrity, the faithfulness of a person. The entire spectrum of political turmoil which is happening over U.S. is the question, is this president faithful? Is his administration faithful? Can he be trusted by what he says? So we had the FBI ex-director coming and questioning his faithfulness and he's not trustworthy. And last night, our night, their morning, their morning, you had the Department of Justice, the head, the, uh, Jeff Sessions coming and giving a rebuttal talking about you are questioning my integrity, my, f- it's all about faithfulness. You have never understand how important it is in life. If your spouse is not faithful, if your child is not faithful, if the administration is not faithful, if the political leaders are not faithful, all this you need to realize is so important to us. Why are we bank on it? Because deep inside everybody knows this is a primary attribute on which life functions. And that's where God stands up and says, I am faithful. My faithfulness is like up to the heavens. And I surround myself with faithfulness. You can bank on me. When we talk about faithfulness, this is one of his most important attributes when he relates to his creation. And as his children, we need to know. Because that's how we build our trust. The entire Bible is a record of God's faithfulness. The question is, When we talk about faithful, God is faithful. What is God faithful to? What is God faithful to? Now if you are students, you will say, 
I'm faithful to my studies. I hope you are. Right. What is God faithful to? Question. How do I as a child of God appropriate God's faithfulness in my walk? It's a very dangerous concept because, okay? Because if you are faithful to God, man may say you are unfaithful to me. So we need to understand how is God faithful? What is God faithful to? And how do we appropriate? Because to say God is faithful goes to the very core of his character. It is who he is. He keeps his word. Simply because if God does not keep his word, he would not be God. He would not be God. What is God faithful to? What I am and you are called to be faithful to. Okay, what is God faithful to? First thing, we look at different things. We cannot exhaust two. It can never be exhausted. So we'll just look at a few as time permits. One, we look at Deuteronomy 7 verses 9 and 10. God is faithful to his word. He says something and he's faithful to his word. In Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10, this is what God tells Israel. Therefore know the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant. He keeps covenant. Okay, God is the God of covenant. Okay, that's why weddings, marriages are covenant. They're not contracts. Contracts can be broken. Covenants are not. So God first comes and enters into a covenant with us. He keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. In that covenant there are terms and he says up to a thousand generations I am merciful to those who love me and keep my covenants. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him and he will repay him to his face. So he's very faithful to his word. If he says, I will bless you, he will bless you. If he says, I will smack you, he will smack you. So I'm very faithful. We always look at one side of it. We don't understand what it means. He's a faithful God. We think about faithfulness in our lives only with goodness. But we do not see he, God is equally faithful to the other side too. Because he never breaks his word. He never, never breaks his word. Both sides are there. That's why Paul will tell in the letter to the Romans, consider the goodness of God and the severity of God because God is very faithful. God is very faithful. If you break the terms of the covenant, he is very faithful to keep both sides. Okay, Because he is faithful to what he has promised. The only thing what we struggle with is when God is faithful in doing good or bad in our lives. He does everything in his time and in his ways. But he will do it. So those who obey him, we hold on to his promises and obey him. Because he's faithful to his word. In Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God, like we have seen in the earlier messages, God doesn't work on our time. He doesn't work our ways. He has his own time frame and he only works in his ways. So God says, hold fast. Don't waver. Don't waver. The one who has promised is faithful. One who promised is faithful. As you may think it's not happening, it's not happening. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? God says, don't waver. 
Hang in there. Because the one who promised is faithful. He's not a man that he should lie. God does not change. The one who promised is faithful. Has he promised something? And he is faithful to come to to pass. In Psalm 138 and verse 2, by now we are very familiar with it. Scripture says, for you have magnified this part. You have magnified your word above all your name. So I have magnified, I have said something, I will do it. I will do it. Though we are caught in physical time, God is not caught in time. Therefore we struggle, but God's children are promised. Don't worry. He has said something, he has magnified his word above all his name. What he has said, he will do it. To Jeremiah, he speaks when he tells Jeremiah something. He tells him in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, Then the Lord said to him, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Another version will say, I watch over my word to perform it. I am a covenant keeping God. I'm absolutely faithful to my covenant. And those who watch over my covenant and perform my covenant, I'm also watching over my word to perform it. He says, I'm faithful to my word. In Matthew 5 and verse 18, God says, finally, Jesus comes and says, Assuredly, I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away. But not even one dot, one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. He says, have I spoken? Don't worry. It is written. It cannot be unwritten. It cannot be erased. It will not go away. It will come to pass. Because the one who promised is faithful. He watches over his word to perform it. Therefore, in a world of broken covenants, contracts and agreements... God and God alone stands apart as the faithful one. That is why we have the term describing God as the rock. Immovable, unshakable, unchangeable. He doesn't change. Never, never changes. Okay. People might forget. People might forget. God never forgets. People might Forget. God might, will never forget. I will give you one example. In 2 Samuel chapter 21 verse 1, this is, we know it, but still a refresher. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Three years. First year, he said, okay, natural. Second year, he thought it may be effects of the first year. Third year, he said, hey, come on, three years in a row. There is something wrong here. So he went and inquired with the Lord. God said, no, it's I who brought famine on your land during your reign. But why? Because Saul killed the Gibeonites. You getting the picture? When was what happened with the Gibeonites? Centuries ago, Joshua, when he entered into the promised land, had made a pact with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites deceived them, but he made a pact and swore in the name of the Lord. And the pact stands. Pact stands. Saul, in his zeal, in his flesh, broke that vow and killed the Gibeonites. Now just to show you how you trace history, in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, This is how you do, young boys, young men, young ladies, when you study the Bible, this is how you do simple math. 
It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel. How many years? Four? Eighty-eight. Minus four? Four? Seventy-six. Are you getting it? Four? Seventy-six. Israel came out of Egypt. Four seventy-six minus forty? Four thirty-six. Okay? Joshua enters into the promised land. Maybe let's say three years, one year, two years. So roughly 420, 25 uh, years earlier, Joshua had made a vow and King Saul had broken it 420 years later. God never forgot. You know what it made? 420 years earlier. By a man, in the name of the living God, God says, it stands. You made a vow, you made a mistake, but you used my name and made a vow with the Gibeonites. 420 years later, another man breaks the vow and kills the Gibeonites. God says, judgment will come, because I watch over my word to perform it. We getting it? Good and bad. God... Watches over his word. God watches over his word to perform it. That's why we have to be very, very careful. God is faithful on both sides. So where do we get this godly fear so that we don't disobey him? We study and keep and repent quickly when we go out because God is a God who is faithful and watches over. In Joshua 23, verses 14 to 16, this is what, Behold, this day I am going in the way of all the earth, Joshua is saying. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. He says, you know what? He is faithful. Everything God promised us, it has come to pass. If one generation missed it, it didn't mean the next generation, if they were faithful, would miss it. They were faithful and they got it. All have to come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Why? Because God who promised is faithful. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so God will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. But also remember, also remember, he's also faithful if you break your covenant. To keep what he has said if you break his covenant. We getting it? God is faithful. So when we talk about God's faithfulness, understand both sides of it. God is very, 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 very faithful in keeping his word. Okay? So when we say God is faithful and his fault faithfulness is exalted to the heavens, God says it is true. Absolutely true. I am faithful. I will never, never break my word. I will always fulfill my word. I will keep my word. First, remember that. That's why we come to study the word because we remember and we get to know, get to know the word. This is a God of a covenant who keeps covenant. Second thing I want to look at it is from Psalm 36 verses 5 to, to 9. 
Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them to drink from the river of your pleasures. Verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. What is he talking about? He's saying, it's because of your faithfulness you have preserved us. That's what he's saying. You have preserved us because of your faithfulness. All man-made systems have failed and are failing and will keep on failing. Because men and women who are supposed to uphold these systems, fail. It is God who has preserved us. It's God who has preserved us. So when you talk about the faithfulness of God, why are we here today? Why are we preserved? Why is that we didn't die this morning? Why is that we didn't die last year? Because of God's faithfulness in preserving His creation. This is how Jesus puts the cross in Matthew 6 and verse 26. His faithfulness. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God who created also preserves His creation. So you can be very, very sure about it. God will preserve us. He will preserve His creation. Even if it is for judgment, he will preserve his creation for the day of judgment. But he will preserve because he's not just a creator. He also preserves what he has created. In Matthew 10, verses 29 to 31, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He's talking about what he's saying of the intrinsic value of human beings. He says... He will preserve you because he is faithful. If he is faithful to take care of sparrows, which nobody even looks at sparrows, they cannot be seen anymore. You have to look around to find a sparrow. But God knows where they are, even though we don't know where they are, and he watches over them. God says if he is faithful to preserve the least among birds, or animals, or creation. He is faithful to preserve too. Because we struggle. We worry. This is all connected with our worry, our anxiety. Because in our anxiety, in our worry, we are struggling to preserve ourselves. Much of what we do in life is basically to... Pre- even, even children who study. Why are you so strong? I'm not saying you shouldn't study. Study should be a discipline. But we struggle and we are anxious and we worry. That's why you you have palpitations when the results get closer and closer. Because it's not connected with the discipline of studying. It's connected with anxiety and worry to preserve yourself. Oh my gosh, if my marks are this low, then cutoff point is here. What will I get? What will I get? What? Because you're worrying about preserving yourself because you are not able to trust that our God is faithful. He will preserve his children. One of the fundamental things Jesus wanted to show his people, his disciples, is that how a son walks with the father. And does his father's will and the father preserves him through it all. So he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. And one of the things he 
teaches them, how did I take care of you these three and a half years? When you went without a bag, without a sandal, without a stick, did you lack anything? They said, no. He said, did you see that? I could preserve you. You obeyed me, and I preserved you. He says, in the same way, your father will. Many of the things which we are called to do is because that our character should get disciplined, not that becomes our preservation. No. That's where we get wrong. And when that becomes the source by which we hope to preserve ourselves, when God says, put it away, we are not willing to put it away. You're not pulling to That's where people, people say, yes, yes, I love God, I worship God. But the whole fact is, do we really trust God to preserve us? That is when our faith becomes perfected. Here is the boy who has been promised. Here is the young man who is promised. Through this man, all your descendants will be blessed. Earth will be full. Nations will be built. And then God comes and tells, take that man and offer him as a sacrifice. Take a three-day journey. Now his entire future is preserved in this young man or in God. God says, show me. Is your entire future built on him or built on me? And scripture says in the book of Hebrews, he gave him, knowing that if God wants, he can raise him from the dead. I'm not putting my trust in the strength of Isaac. I'm putting my trust in the faithfulness of God. This is something which we need to understand. Because we don't realize we are always going through this test. Always going through this test. The work we do, the studies we make, the degrees, all this is not the source of our preservation. It is God who preserves us. It is his faithfulness. Our trust is not any of these things. Our trust is this. I am doing this because God has called me to do it. When he says stop, I stop. When he says leave, I leave. He is important. This is not from where my provision comes from. My provision comes because my God is faithful. He preserves me. That's that's the psalm we read in verse Psalm 36 and verse 7. If I am right, that's where he says in that, in that psalm. Which we Can we go back to that, Richie? The one which we looked at now. Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness of God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of his wings. You are faithful. And we have put our trust in you. We have put in our trust in you. We put our trust in him. Much, much, much of our struggles will cease. Because we know God is able to preserve us. He's trying Always to teach us about the faithfulness of God. In Matthew 5, verse 45, Jesus says this. 5.45, he says this. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes a sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He says, do you know that? If you are a father, you have five children and three are obedient, two are disobedient. Do you starve the disobedient ones? No. God says, know that. You don't have to struggle, worry, be anxious for your provision because the just and the unjust are fed by the creator because the one who creates also preserves them. You can be absolutely sure about his faithfulness. What you need to seek is his righteousness and his kingdom 
first. Because if we put preservation, self-preservation first, we will put seeking him second or we won't seek him at all. That's what he's trying to say. Okay, so remember, he's faithful to his word. He's faithful in preserving what he has created. If he's faithful in preserving the unjust also whom he created, how much more faithful is he in preserving whom he has redeemed and calls his sons and daughters? What is he faithful? This is how we understand the faithfulness of God. He's faithful to his word. He's always faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to preserving what he has created. Third one, 1 John chapter 1. Verses 8 to 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rich, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's go to verse 9. One of the Greatest needs of man is the need and the assurance of forgiveness. People don't even realize it. Our One of our greatest, if not the greatest need is forgiveness and the assurance of forgiveness. And a fresh start when we fail. All that we see around happening in the world is a result of unrepentant hearts And unforgiveness. So the question is, where do we get the assurance of forgiveness and cleansing and a fresh start? Where do we get this assurance? The answer is, he is faithful. Simply based on that. He is faithful. He is faithful. We need that. Okay? We need that. He he was faithful to send his son. He was faithful to send his son. Okay. First we looked at his faithful to his word. And he was faithful to his word to send his son. That is why Paul uses those specific terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 to 4. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, according to his word. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to his scriptures. According to the scripture. He cannot do the way he wants. He has to do according to the scriptures. Because he has magnified his word above his name. He will not break his name. He has promised in the garden of Eden. I will come and the seed of the woman will crush. There will be atonement. So according to scripture. What he has promised. He has done. Now the question is this. Are you going to trust your feelings? Hepzibah. Or God's word. What are you going? Because sometimes we confess, but we don't feel we are forgiven. Shall we go back to that one John? One nine? Are we going to put our faith in our feelings? Or to what he has said in his word. He is faithful. Because so many times I have met people who are confessing the same sins over and over and over and over because they don't feel forgiven. But where does God say you have to feel forgiven? 
You have to go by his word. He said, if you repent, we confess our sins. He is faithful. So what are you basing your forgiveness on? Only on one thing. He is faithful. He's not just faithful. He's also just. That is why repentance is needed. Where restitution is needed, where repentance is needed. That's why repentance and restitution. He says he's just. If you go according to his way and then you confess our sins to him, he is faithful and will forgive. He will not only forgive, he will also cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You get an absolutely new fresh start. And after that, it doesn't matter which man, which woman says anything about you. It simply doesn't exist in God's book. It's gone. You may have a record on earth, there is no record in heaven. You have an absolutely clean start. What is the greatest need of human beings? It's not food, it is forgiveness. And the assurance of forgiveness. That's what God gives. And how do you know it? How do you receive it? Simply based on his faithfulness. God is faithful. God is just. God is faithful. If we work according to God's justice system, he is faithful. He is faithful. We don't like this concept about judgments and justice. But let me tell you, if there is no judgment, there is no justice. Where there is no justice, there is no righteousness. Our problem is this. Unrighteousness. Because we have sinned. Scripture says God is just. So God says you repent and you confess. As soon we have repented and confessed, God says I am just. So for the crime, somebody has to be punished. Somebody has to pay a price. He says my son has paid the price. It's on him. Even today's sin, when it is confessed, it's still on him. It's not on us, it is on him. He pays the price. And immediately we are declared righteous. Declared righteous. Okay. Because he is just. And what happens? We are free. Most of the people in the world are either going into depression, discouragement, trying to forget, trying to get into all kind of things because they do not have the assurance of forgiveness for what they have done. And they are trying to earn. Religious people are trying to earn. The atheists have a vacuum. They are trying to hide themselves in drugs or work or entertainment or whatever. At the end, everybody is empty because they do not know. He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful. Faithful to forgive. Like David understood the heart of God. He did much terrible things. Cried out to God. God said, it's taken away. Forgiven. Can go. Nobody could understand it. Even Ahitophel, the wisest man in the council, could not understand how does this man walk around so freely and worshipping God. He must be a fake. God said, he's not a fake. You are the fake. Faithful. He's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to forgive. Understand that. He's faithful to forgive. Because many, many walk in condemnation because they don't trust God's word. They have obeyed what God asked, but they are waiting for a supernatural experience of healing before they can believe they are forgiven. Now God is not going to come anymore like Nathan, send a prophet to you and say, you are forgiven. You want that? You want that Nathan kind of experience in your life? Then he will pick you out also in the congregation. 
So it's simple to confess in private and receive the forgiveness in private than be pulled up in public and hear the forgiveness in public. You don't need a supernatural experience. His word is very true. If you have obeyed his word, scripture says, you are forgiven. Believe in your forgiveness. Okay? Believing in your forgiveness, regret for your past actions are different. Please, see, let's say you or I did something to somebody. We cried out to God. We said sorry. The the person out of our lives, we are forgiven by God and we are able to walk in forgiveness, but that doesn't mean there is no regret. Because you see, the actions are out of your hand and you see others suffering the consequences of your hand. So you feel pain, you feel a burden, you feel regret. That doesn't mean you are not forgiven. Don't confuse between these two. People confuse between these two. And they go back to God and say, Lord, forgive me, I did. God says, you are forgiven. Forgiven. That regret will not go if you are a sensitive person, especially. God says, there is a day in heaven when the Father will wipe away all that. That is not going to go away. Look at one of the most sensitive men in scripture. In Second Samuel 18 and verse 33. Then the king was deeply moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died in your place. Oh Absalom, my son, my son. Is he a forgiven man? Of course he's forgiven. Is he broken inside? Yes. Why? Because he knows it is my sin. Years back that has led to the death of this young man. Is he walking in condemnation? No. He's not walking in condemnation. She walking, knowing that I am not forgiven. Yes, he's no, he's forgiven. But the, will the pain go away? No. If the pain goes away, then you are not human. No. So he's walking in that pain, yet he's walking knowing that he's forgiven, and that he's, he's not under condemnation. So know the difference between two, because sometimes people confuse that pain that you go through has condemnation. God says no. Forgiveness is not dependent upon our feelings. The evidence of forgiveness is God's faithfulness. God is faithful. If you confess and you meet God's justice, what he has said in his word, God is faithful. He will forgive you. Not only forgive you, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you are declared righteous in the heavenly realm. Got it? So you got the first three. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful in preserving what he has created. God is faithful in forgiving. If we, we, we need, man needs forgiveness. Everybody needs forgiveness. We cannot live without forgiveness. We will go into condemnation. We will go into addiction. We will become workaholics. We will try all kind of things to hide ourselves because we, our greatest need, the fallen man's greatest need is forgiveness. Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve hiding because they didn't know what they needed was forgiveness. God knew they needed forgiveness. Therefore, he came searching for them. But he is also just. They do not meet his just standards. They will not confess. So he has to send them out because they don't receive forgiveness. Even when Cain murders his brother Abel, it is God who comes because he knows there is a murder, but there is 
forgiveness available. Will this young man stand up and acknowledge and confess, where is your brother? He refuses, so he goes out as a wanderer because he knows the greatest need of a fallen man is not food, it is forgiveness so that he can have a right relationship with God. He can have all the food, all the money, all the wealth in the world, yet your life can be empty because you do not know God. Because you are created to know God. So understand, our third need, or not third in that order, God is faithful. Absolutely faithful. Absolutely faithful. Fourth one, which, 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 um, believers struggle with. Okay? These are all things which believers, Christians struggle with. One of the greatest weapons the enemy attacks saints in the old and the new is discouragement. I call, they become despondent at their own spiritual growth. Okay, you measure yourself, my gosh, he started only two years back. Look where he has reached. I've heard many people say that about Eric. And he's reached there, I'm still here. No, that's a job he's doing. The reaching is spiritual, that's a different thing. Don't confuse work with spiritual growth. Okay, spiritual growth is something else. Okay, but people get very, very discouraged at their own spiritual growth. When, Lord, when will I grow up and measure to something in your eyes, in your kingdom? We hear and we read for sanctification, long for sanctification. But Lord, will I ever reach there? Because every day we only are reminded about our failures. When, Lord, when? Even that great man of God, when he's writing the doctrine to the church of Rome, much later he wrote First Thessalonians, Thessalonians, all that, when he's writing the functional, basic, foundational doctrines in the book of Romans, in Romans 7, this is what he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When is he saying that? While he's writing it. When? Years and years after salvation. Wretched man, he says, when, who will deliver me from this body of death? Discouragement, no? Then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yet he acknowledges here, in the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He says, I'm not free. If I let my flesh go, gone. I'm in the law of sin. The law of sin takes over. Who will, who will love God? The real, genuine discouragement saints go through. God's children go through. So what's the answer? The answer is this. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23, 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. First thing, where a name has changed. Who is he? God of peace. Meaning, walk in forgiveness. You will have peace. The first sign, forgiveness brings is peace. The first sign, unforgiveness brings is peace has gone. Okay, when husband and wife don't talk, you know, peace is gone. When parents and children don't talk, peace is gone. When colleagues don't talk, peace is gone. Peace is the first sign. When does peace go? When there is not forgiveness. So God says, walk in forgiveness. The God of peace is there. When the God of peace is functioning in your life, he's doing a work in you. If you have peace, you may not know, but he's doing a work in you. What is he doing? He will sanctify you completely. Your spirit, soul, body... Preserved, blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the next verse. He who calls you is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful to do the work of sanctification. 
He is faithful. Your sanctification is not dependent. Yes, there is stuff which I and you need to do, but it's ultimately based on God's faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness. How will we be presented blameless before God? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Okay, understand on the faithfulness of God. Hebrews 7.25, faithfulness of God. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. We, our job is to go to God through Jesus Christ. And he is able to save us. Reason, he always, you take the greatest prayer warrior in the world. Is he or she living to make intercession all the time? No. He also falls asleep, also calls tired. 40 day fasting is over. Now feasting has begun. But Jesus is forever living to make intercession. For he's faithful in his prayer life to make us holy, faithful. Everyone who comes to God through him, scripture says, he will save us to the uttermost. And on that day, present us to God blameless, spirit, soul and body. So where does our sanctification come from? It comes from the fact God is faithful. God is faithful. Our job is to go to him. In Hebrews 5, 9, scripture says having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. God says, your job, don't look at it. Lord, am I sanctified a little more today? God says, don't look at it. You just obey me. I'm doing that work. Your job is to obey me. Your job is to come to me. And go to the Father through me. I'm doing that work. You depend upon my faithfulness to do it. I am faithful to do it. You don't worry about it. I am faithful. I will do it. Salvation was initiated by God and also will be finished by God. We are only asked to cooperate with him. That is the confidence of Apostle Paul, what he says in Philippians 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful to what he has promised. We may not feel sanctified today. We may not want sanctification tomorrow. Sunday we may wake up and want to be holy. God says, can I trust you? To complete this work of sanctification? No. I don't trust you to finish this work, but I trust myself to finish the work in you. Because the work that I have begun, I will complete. And I know you. I know your feelings. I know your emotions. I know your emotion. That's why I'm putting you through the ringer. Like Halim is made. I'm putting you through the ringer. Why? So that. You don't understand what is happening. God says, I'm doing my work. I'm faithful to what I have begun. God never stops working. Even when we give up on people, He never does. He never, we may give up on people and say, ah, that, no hope. God says, who told you? Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to do, to will and to do for His good pleasure. It is. It is God. He's faithful. He's, like I said, it is he, though he was the one who came looking for Adam. Not Adam searching for God. Adam was trying to hide from God. He was the one who came looking for Cain. Cain was not looking for God. 
Remember when Hagar ran away from Abraham's house? In Genesis 16, verses 7 to 9, here is a servant maid running away, but she has known something about God. So God, angel of the Lord, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Where are you going? Wait, 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 you're running, right? You're running from something, running somewhere. Wait a minute. First for a minute think, where are you running from? That's the only house which is saved. You run from that house. Do you have any idea where you're running to? Think for a minute. You're running from church, right? You're running from prayer. You're running from Bible study. You're running from devotions. You're running from all these things. Wait a second and think. Where are you going? Where are you going? Think. Even the maid servant is God who searches and tells her, don't run. Don't run. And I have something to tell you. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. He says, angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under a hand. I am telling you one thing. If you obey what I am telling you, I can sanctify you too and make you and your son a great nation. But it's conditional on this. I'm going to tell you one thing alone. Go back the way you came. Submit your mistress' hand. It will be a different story altogether. Hagar, I can make Ishmael also into a great nation. It's all dependent upon, will you obey me? I am there to sanctify you too. So there is the one who came looking for us in Christ. And he has begun a work in all of us. And God says, if you obey, I will finish it too. It may look too long, too tiresome to us, even impossible. But God says, don't worry. That's exactly what he says. We use that and we sing that songs and all, but it is connected with the work of sanctification in Zachariah. God says, the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. No, no, no. Zachariah, the next one, not by might, not by power. What did I give you? It's four. It's four. It's not three, it's four. Zachariah four. Not by might, nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What is he talking actually about? If you look at context, what is he talking about? Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. What is he talking about? Finishing the temple. Who is the temple? You and me. You will say, O Lord, me, I cannot be sanctified. Not possible. You don't know. You always try to lecture God, you don't know what I am. It's not possible with you. Hopeless case. God says, wait. It's not by your might. It is not by your power. It's by the power of my Holy Spirit, he says. I laid a foundation stone. That was Jesus Christ. I'm building on you. One day you will suddenly realize, I'll put the capstone and says, finish. It's done. It's over. It is over. It's finished. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it began someday when we received Jesus into our lives. That's what First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 says. No other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In Zachariah, it's not talking about foundation stone. It is talking about the capstone. 
foundation stone was laid other stones are being laid and the illustration that's why we are called living stones the illustration given is from solomon's temple scripture says when tall solomon's temple was built the stones were cut in the quarry in the quarry the stones are being cut you go there there's a lot of noise over there but where the temple is actually being built there is no sound at all every completed stone is brought in and fitted in with no noise the actual place of construction there is no noise one day the temple stands up over there but the people who are walking around that heard no saw no labor heard no sound so god is saying i am doing a quiet work in every one of you and you don't know it one day when the trumpet blows the temple is ready each one is fitted in and the house of god is ready and you are struggling and shouting and screaming over here at the quarry this is a quarry nothing is happening nothing is happening life is so terrible this is hurting the god says out there temple is being built temple is being built to all be fitted in one day because the one who called us is faithful he is faithful all his promises are yes and amen That's what Joshua experienced what what he began in the promised land he also finished it and he's building a community of people so we looked at how many four what is the first one he's faithful to his word second he's faithful in preserving what he has created or redeemed third he's faithful in forgiving He's not only faithful in forgiving he's also faithful in cleansing daily sanctifying what he has forgiven. And the next one. Okay, fifth one. Every day every day we go through this. You and I nobody is exempt including Jesus Christ when he came in the flesh scripture says he was tempted at all points. We are assaulted by temptations or trials or both. It's one thing to read in James 1 2 my brother encountered all joy when he fall into various trials he wrote it and he died if he was alive you will say you come and live my life it's very easy to write all these things what did he say counted all joy when you win the powerball that's the biggest lottery in us 437 million dollars somebody's won in california last week count it all that's what you want to count it all joy when a merit list comes and you find you are on the top count it all joy when you get a scholarship count it all joy when you get a who who can't count it as joy but that's not what scripture says count it all when you fall into various trials count it all joy how can i count it as joy how can i be joyful how can i do this every day i am assaulted by temptation and trials the answer is first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 what does it say no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man because god is faithful when you are faced with trials when you are faced with temptations remember one thing how do i handle no god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it first thing when you go through a trial or a temptation is he is faithful 
It doesn't say that you won't, I won't be tempted or tested. He actually says, we will be. What is the first promise? Look at that. What is the first promise? What is the first promise here? Because, because this is, this is something which we need to really. First promise is that every temptation, every trial, every test you will go through is what is common to man. So don't say mine is unique. God says no. Not unique. Maybe covered in 21st century clothes, but same. What Adam went through in nakedness, and subsequent generation in robes, today you go through in jeans. That's all. Clothed in different cultures, but your temptation, your trial, your test is common to man. Because this is one of the cries of a natural man. Nobody understands what I'm going through. God says, no, I understand very well. Many others also understand. You don't understand what you're going through is common. First promise of God is that you will go through trials, you will go through temptations, but it is common to man. It is common to man. First believe that what I'm going through is not unique. Somebody else has gone through it, maybe lesser or maybe greater than me. So it is common. This is not a unique experience. That's why we tell you to read the word, learn the lives of people and read biographies of other saints who have grown through greater things and see how they came through. Because everything everyone is going through is common. You tell me what is unique that nobody else has gone through. After the fall. What tell me? What is that? Anything in your life that is unique which can be recorded in the scripture? <laughs> no, it's common to man. First thing it is common. Okay. There's nothing unique. Second promise of God, you will never be tempted or tested beyond your strength. So don't say, I can't handle it. God says you can. Either you believe I am faithful or you believe I am unfaithful. If you are going through something, you have to be very sure your father has allowed it and he will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond your strength. He he decides what comes into your life. The devil may be the instrument through which temptations and trials are allowed, but even the devil is hogtied and the rope end of the rope is in God's hand. He doesn't allow him to test. Every time Job is tested, he has to ask from God. God says, okay, do this. Okay, next time do this, but don't do this. The limits are set by God according to each one's strength. He knows your strength, what you don't know. When you say, I can't handle it, God says, you can handle it. How do you know? I know your strength, which you don't know. So first thing, remember, what happens to us is common. Two, we'll be never tempted beyond our strength. So whatever the enemy may try, remember one thing, God is faithful. God is faithful, one. He will only allow what is common to man to come into our lives. Two, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. Three, when that happens, you will always have one door of escape, at least one. And you have the strength to bear it. So promises. People in the world know. They commit suicide, they go into depression, they end up locked up in mental hospitals, all that because they do not know God. But God's people cannot choose that route. Because we have God with us and his promises are there because he is faithful. 
Just because you and I did not escape does not mean God was not faithful. It is sometimes because we did not want to escape. Because some of those temptations are pleasurable. And we don't want to escape. And his servants were too weak to save themselves. He intervened. It is God who got Abraham out of the Pharaoh's clutches. Got Sarah out and tell get out. When he was too weak to tell the truth to Abimelech, it was God who intervened and brought Abraham out. So even when we are weak, God has intervened and brought us out because he realized, you know what, I know you. I know you. And I will intervene and bring you out. Ideally, scripture is very clear. There is a way. It may be a hard way. Maybe a hard way, the result of choosing that way. But like Joseph, that's the right way. In Genesis 39, verse 12, he left his garment in our hand, fled and ran outside. He never went back inside, he ended up in prison. But he chose that one way was there. There was one way. We too have to take the way of escape God offers and leave the future into God's hand. Because he is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises. That is why it is important to know the promises of God. Why was he able to run? And not fear. Because he knew the promises of God over his life. Often we do not know the promises of God over our life. So we are struggling to fulfill our own. And when trials come, temptation comes, we don't have the strength to face it. Because we don't have a promise to back. To know that the God who promised is faithful. And I go through this door. I may go through more hardships. But he is faithful and that promise I received will come to pass. Come to pass. That's why it's important to read the word of God and know promises. In Second Peter chapter 1, 3 to 4, this is what Peter says. His divine power, divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need for life. What is roti kapda or makang? Or, okay, that and godliness. When it comes to Joseph, a pair of good legs to run. What is that pertains to godliness? Flee. Temptation. You need a good pair of legs. Scripture says, He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. How do you know Him? By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Do you know the promises of God? Do we know the promises of God? By which, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Once you have a promise and you hold on to the promise in the midst of your temptation, you are partaking of the very life of God that you are able to overcome your trial and your temptation. Because it's the human nature can never overcome the trials and the temptation, but the divine nature always overcomes. But how do you and I partake of the divine nature? It is through the promises of God. How is Joseph being able to say no, 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 because he has the promises, you are called to reign. It's a promise, a definite promise given. We also have been given that same definite promise in Romans 8. If you suffer with him, you shall reign with him too. So we have a promise. 
When we stand on the promises and believe on the promises, scripture says, we become partakers of God's nature, the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. It is true. It's not just hearing. It's believing and memorizing and hiding God's promises in God, in our heart. Because those promises, when we believe and become part of His, the life of God comes into us. The divine, we become partakers of the divine nature and the divine nature always overcomes. That is what God said, what we looked at last Wednesday. He always takes us in triumph in Christ Jesus. How do I and you get Christ Jesus in and remain? Through the promises. Through the promises of God. Because those promises have power. God has made a way. He has made a way. Scripture says you will never be tempted. It's common. But he will always keep a way. How do you? First, know your scripture. Learn your scripture. You don't have to learn in Hebrew. But if you want to, Vijay, Pastor Vijay will teach you. But the devil understands English and Telugu also. Okay, so you learn it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Second thing. Don't miss church. Don't miss church. Hebrews 10.25. Don't miss church. What does scripture say? Don't miss church. Because that is where, do not cast, or 25, my son. 25, Hebrews 10.25. Don't miss church. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Why the day approaching? You all know. When your exam day approaches, don't you study more and more? Right? Simple. When you see the day approaching, church actually who is aware of it gathers more and more because we know one of the signs of the day approaching is evil is increasing. If evil is increasing, I need more power to withstand the evil. It comes in the gathering of each other where we learn, study and encourage each other. We are in this journey together. Those whose spiritual eyes are close to what is actually happening, else ah, one Sunday, once a week is fine. It's okay. But they are not aware of what is happening. Everybody says, so the world is becoming rotten, more and more rotten, everything is... What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? We all know it's breaking down. Every system is breaking down. Evil is only increasing in the society. Scripture says, when that happens, keep on and exhorting one another. Brother, you are not alone in this. I am with you. And I need you to uphold me. We are in this together. So God has made ways. One of the ways is learn your word. Know your word. Meditate on your word. Memorize your word. Second, never stop gathering. Three, draw near to God. And he will draw near to? That's the way. Draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? In prayer. In fasting. Prayer and fasting. Make fasting and prayer a part of your life. If you get to eat in heaven, he will give you seven days, four times a day until it comes out your nostrils. Don't worry about food. Fast now. So many are worried about Pastor Vijay at the beginning. One day, two days said, Pastor, I can't handle fasting. Now he loves fasting. Eric and all in the beginning, fasting would mean he would collapse. It looks as if it's an enemy. No, it's your friend. That's how you draw, how you, how, that's how you look at these ways when you are fasting. You know temptation is increasing, trials are increasing. I need more strength. Where do you get from strength? To face temptation trials, not by feasting. It's by fasting. 
It's by fasting. When you fast and when you pray and you study in the word, you have more strength to say no to anything. Anything. Draw near to God. How do you do now to God? Through the study of God, through prayer, through fasting. Make no provision for the flesh. These are all ways. Looking to Jesus. Calling a friend for prayer. Calling a friend for prayer. Always everybody calls after they have fallen. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2. Scripture gives. Scripture is there. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. Pray. Scripture says pray. Please pray. Pray brother pray. Not after you have fallen which is also good. Rather than not call. But call before you fall. See there are so many ways. But the question is do we choose it or we avoid it? Do we choose it or do we avoid it? God has made. He says you will never be tempted, tested beyond your strength. And when you are tested, there is a way. And one of the ways is called for prayer. You know, we are tested. You know? you know somebody whom we can trust. And you call up and say, Sister, can you pray for me? I am going through this. By the time you have finished prayer, it's over. It's over. It's over. It's done. God has made a way. Make use of those ways. Aaron and her looked into the valley and they saw Joshua losing. They can't fight. They're both old men. Then they look up and they saw Moses' hands were coming down. There was something they could do. They couldn't fight, but there was something they could do. They went there and lifted his hands up. They went and lifted his hands up. Suddenly they look at the valley. Everybody is winning. So there was a way. David went up. And he saw the minute he saw that, he was tempted, looking at the naked woman, that's when he should have realized, I'm at the wrong place. I shouldn't be here. He should have called his soldiers and said, get the horse ready, I'm going to the battlefield. There was a way. My soldiers are there. They are fighting. I am resting. I shouldn't be resting. I should be fighting. Let me go. Over. Story over. There is a way. But will we choose the way or do will we avoid that way? God has said, I am faithful. Everything that you go through is common. It will be never beyond your strength. Third, when you are tested, when a trial comes, there is a way. Question is, will we choose that way or will we avoid that way? There is a way, always, whatever you go through. Look for it. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to your remembrance and take it. Take it. Matthew 5 verses 11 and 12, Jesus said, there is this way. Blessed are you when you revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is this? Paul and Silas in the prison, beaten up, persecuted for righteousness sake. The Holy Spirit suddenly brings in your remembrance. You are here, you have a choice. Either you can go down or you can have a way for you. This is the way. We can choose. That's why we need scripture. Even we cannot memorize, we keep on reading it. So when the time comes, the Holy Spirit brings into our remembrance. Say, Lord, what do I say? He says, this is the way. This is the way. Can he bring into your remembrance what you have not read? No. He also makes use of the same brain he gave us. So he says, read it. At least once read it so that I can bring into your memory. I can bring into your remembrance. So I believe these two people are there, beaten up, broken, midnight hour. And the verse comes, this is the way. What do we do? 
God says, rejoice and exceedingly glad. And they start praising, they start worshipping, they start praying. And immediately the doors are opened. Now it may not happen to us spectacularly like that, but something will definitely happen. Because God always makes a way. God always, always makes a way. That's what God is talking Why? Why does he make a way? Because he is faithful. Remember, everywhere we are counting upon the faithfulness of this God. That's why we need to realize this God is faithful. The God who calls me son, you daughter. God who calls us by name, who has redeemed us. He is absolutely faithful. And I can bank on his faithfulness all my life, all of eternity. He is faithful. One more, I think, before we stop. Oh no, we will stop. It's 8.30. I don't want to get caught in the rain. So we will just refresh for students, so many students. What was the first one? He's faithful to his word. If he's faithful to his word, you and I be faithful to his word. Remember, he has exalted this above all his name. We also learn to exalt this above every other name. We have many names in our life. Do you know who I am? God says, exalted before that also. I want to be this. God says, lift that above that too. So many names we are after. So many names. How we struggle for a name. So God says, lift the word up. He's faithful to his word. Good or bad? He's faithful to his word. And he's faithful in preserving what he has created. Then Jesus says, if so, how much more faithful is he in what he has redeemed? If two sparrows, a sparrow won't fall to the ground without falling, how much more you? If a lily in the valley is dressed better than Solomon in all his grandeur, why do you worry about clothes? Look at what Jesus is actually talking about. He says, this is what you are always after, preserving yourself, right? What to eat? What to drink? What to wear? That's the poor. The rich? What to eat? What to drink? What shall I wear today? Classic, this one, the old one. Nothing to wear. Both the rich and the poor are caught in the same. Same tragedy. Everybody. But God says, it's a pursuit in vanity. Pursuit of loss of life and time. God says, I preserve what I create. Third thing, what's the most important thing man needs? Not food, not drink, not clothes. You ask a dying man, do you want bread? He'll say no. Do you want water? No. Do you want clothes? No. What do you want? I want to know that I'm forgiven. It's the only thing that he wants to know. I want to know that I'm forgiven. That's all. Remember James Cunningham's story about this young girl who has been telling her boyfriend about Jesus, 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 Jesus. He said, no, huh, this thing. And they went to the beach. And went to the beach. He got into the sea. The shark came, cut him off. They managed to drag his body. He was dying. He was dying. And as he's dying, he looks at her and says, I believe, baptize me. She ran to the sea, took a handful of water and put it over him and said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I baptize you. And he died. What do you think at that moment you need? Food? Clothes? Home? A job? 
a marriage, children. No, all you want is to know the assurance of forgiveness. It's all you need. And God knows that. So God says, He's faithful. He's faithful. Don't worry about that. He is faithful. You confess and meet his justice. He is faithful. Not only to forgive, but also to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You can walk free. As if you never did anything wrong. Just walk free. That's what it means, justified. Never, never. Justified. Just as if you never sinned. And the fourth thing, who will finish this work? Discouragement of saints. God says, I will finish this work. What I start, I finish. What I start, I finish. And the fifth, temptation. How will I get out of my temptations and struggles? God says, he is faithful. First, accept realities. One, whatever you go through is common to man. Two, you are not tested beyond your strength. Third, Always get this. But what do you bank it all this? Don't avoid God's way. There is a way. He is faithful. There is a way. The way may look hard. The way may look difficult. But there is a way. Take that way. Because he is faithful. And before you know, you are out. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, I just thank you, especially for all these young ones here today, Lord. Academic year has begun, but I also pray a new year in their spiritual life, Lord, that they will run this race well. Oh, Father, your word says, serve your creator in the days of your youth. Pray, Lord, all these young men and ladies will make that choice. If they have fallen till yesterday, today is a new day and you are a faithful God. Then they will stand up before you, acknowledge before you, put away things that need to be put away, put their faith and their trust in your faithfulness. And I pray and I believe, Lord, the God who began this work in them will also complete it, O oh Lord, because you are faithful. Faith. Create the desire in their hearts that they will go back to the word Meditate upon the word. Study the word. Hide the word in their hearts. Because you are a faithful God. A God who watches over his word to perform it. Be with them Lord. Be with young and old. Be with them. Each one. When we are tested, tempted, bring us to our remembrance. The way in scripture for us to get out of it. Or to stand until it is over without failing, without falling. Because God who promised is faithful. It's not to be discouraged by the slow pace of the work we see in us, knowing that you will present us blameless on that day. If we obey you, you will do that work. Quiet, silent work you are doing in each one of us. Touch your people. Strengthen them. Encourage them, Lord. Encourage us, Lord. The rest of the seven months, six and a half months, teach us to order our steps. Lean on you. Seek your face. Receive your power. Walk in your ways. 
So that especially these young ones would be a testimony in their schools, in their colleges, in their workplaces. The light of Christ, the life of Christ would shine through them, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us safely this evening to your house. Now I pray you will reach each one, Lord, safely to their homes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.